inspired me the most, especially in those later years, is watching somebody succeed. And being a leader, mm-hmm. you can help them succeed. People that don't think that they can do it, and you help them to see that they can do it, and they do it, and the looks on their faces and the, the joy that they have. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ronin Leadership Podcast. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we actually had a guest, uh, and I'm really excited about the guest we have today, but I'll talk about it in a few minutes. Uh, but hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we, uh, Janice and I had a good time with our family, just kind of low-key, just taking it easy, you know, given the fact that we were so slammed uh, the week before with F1, so... I hope whatever you all did, uh, that you had a wonderful and safe and peaceful Thanksgiving. Um, first of all, I want to thank all of you for subscribing to the channel. We've latest count, we've got 1,200 subscribers to this uh, YouTube channel. So continue to tell your friends and family about the podcast. Really appreciate your support. Thanks for your comments. Uh, hit the, as you see on the screen, hit the subscribe button, the like button, share it, and uh, share it with friends. Heck, share it with enemies because they probably need to know a little bit about leadership too. Um, I've got a new book coming out. It's the sequel to Full Circle. And it's called Blood Promise. Should be out in a couple of weeks, hopefully before Christmas. Uh, and uh, as I always say, you can go to MikeHowardAuthor.com. You can find any of uh, the books that uh, I've written there. Uh, but I'm really excited about this next one. And so hope you'll all continue to support that effort. But get the shameless plug out of the way. And let's get to the uh, the main event. Um, the gentleman that uh, I'm going to introduce you to now is uh, is a dear friend, more than a friend. Uh, Janice, I consider uh, uh, Phil and his wife Susan family. Uh, we've known each other for a long, long time. And uh, when I was a baby CSO at Microsoft, was when I first uh, met Phil. And uh, I'll let Phil talk through his story, but I. Uh, Phil was the uh, the president of Aronson Security Group, and uh, they were undoubtedly the premier integrators in the uh, security community, but much more than that. I knew nothing about what that meant when I first got into Microsoft, you know, and Phil was and his team were instrumental in really getting me snapped in on, onto that side of the security world, but we'll, we'll talk about that. But more importantly, uh, Phil has always impressed me as a, a kind and decent human being and also uh, a very great leader. And everybody's got their different leadership styles and I've always enjoyed watching Phil and his leadership style. So uh, Phil Aronson, welcome to the Ronan Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's good good to be here. Thanks for having me. Ah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, let me think, We, I got to Microsoft around 2002. So we probably met a few years after that, probably, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. what I was thinking when you were talking, 2004, 2005. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I guess, you know, this, this podcast first started off primarily with security folk. And so we all know the nomenclature, right? We know what integrators are and end users and all that good stuff. But uh, for the uninitiated, uh, I guess before you start on your journey, explain to them what what your company did, what ASG did for companies like Microsoft, like for my organization. Mm-hmm. 
um, business was uh, to engineer uh, uh, complex, large integrated security systems that would be video, voice, uh, access control systems. Uh, and we'd engineer them and then we engineer and design them. And then we would um, uh, install them or have, uh, have partners install these, those systems. And then we would put them on the network um, and make, make them operate and tie into uh, global GSOCs or um, um, uh, other, other, you know, whether it's a global GSOC or whether it's a local GSOCs, we we have people that would make the software work with the hardware. Um, so yeah. that's what kind of the major part of our business with large large organizations was, and that changed over the years because the industry changed so much over the years. Because back in 2002, you know, there were proprietary systems, and over that time that from 2002 to 2018, uh, the industry changed from proprietary systems on private uh, networks, there were private communications, closed circuit uh, um, onto, you know, um, uh, public, not, not only public network, but mostly private corporate networks. We put them on private corporate networks. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, that that's what the way we made you know, most of our um, uh, revenue. And that was for large organizations like Microsoft, like um, some of your competitors, Microsoft's competitors, um, um, and large hospitals and large, uh, did a lot of work with Amazon um, on with mm -hmm. their data centers. Who? And, and who? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know who they are. Who, who's that? What's that company? What's the company that was the competitor of Microsoft? I, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why I said, you know, it's just such a habit to not say <laughs> names. You know, this is a security industry. So you're not to say names, right. but now I guess I'm retired. So is there a is a statute of limitations or something like that? Hey, you know? hey. Yeah. But, well, I've got that, enough Amazon the, products, so I don't really care. Right. So yeah, yeah. The the Nike and Nikes and Adidas of the world, you know, and doing mm -hmm. work all over the world. So because of we we understood that we could scale if we could design and engineer and project manage these complex systems, we didn't have to install them. And so that's why one of the ways we were able to grow so quickly. Wow. So this didn't happen overnight. Uh Tell us how, well, you know, there, you've had several iterations in terms of careers, but uh, how did, tell, tell us about your journey. How did you end up running ASG? You know, what, what does that yeah. story look like for people? I think it's, it's kind of an interesting one because um, I started in the security business when I was five years old. Um, yeah. My dad, uh, my dad started a business in the lock and door hardware business back in the sixties. And back in the sixties, that was security. You know, secure master mm -hmm. key systems and and for large organizations. And so as kids, my brothers and sisters and I, we would combinate pin pin locks and and cut keys for VA hospitals and for Fort Lewis and for so we'd come home and okay, you can go play basketball after you cut so many keys or pin so many locks. 
Um, wow. So I did that till I was able to get a job on my own. And then I vowed wow. never to go into the business. Vowed, you know, <laughs> it was a family business and there's some uniqueness. There's, there is uniqueness to, to family businesses. And my folks were okay with that. So I kind of took a 10 year hiatus from dad's business um, and worked at other, other businesses. I got a degree in math and back then, minor in computer science, but that was back in, you know, uh, the days when there was no networking and we were working at 2200 baud and, and programming yeah. on, on, on cards, you know, punch yeah. cards. And, and so do it, did that. And, um, and so I did, I, 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 um, got out, got a degree and then got out of college and I got, went into programming, worked for a uh, farmer's world, new world life. And, uh, Seattle. It was a big life insurance company and programmed for them for a few years. And we were going to move, um, got an opportunity back in Portland where I went to school. And uh, my dad says, hey, why don't you come back and work for me? And so mm -hmm. um, that was 10 years after I had worked for him before. And we came back and it was a small, uh, it was still pretty small. It was more of a lifestyle business for my mom and dad and went to work and I worked for my dad um, and mom for uh, um, six years so 89, that was probably 83 or 84. Um, and worked for my mom and dad. And, and I worked with my dad for six years. And it was one of the funnest times in my work, in my journey. I didn't realize it at the time that it was going to be one of the mm -hmm. funnest times. But I look back and, and how much I learned during that those times. And um, and just the opportunity to work with him and get, get to know him a little bit. Because... When we were kids, he worked all the time. He traveled all the time. So sure. he wasn't around, around that much. So um, we bought this little lock. My brother and I bought this little lock company in 1989 from my mom and dad. And we turned it from a kind of a small mom and pop business to a business that was owned by owned by uh, a family. And we grew mm -hmm. a little bit. But the, that business, we, we referred to it, it was the bu buggy whip business. You know, the, <laughs> back in the day when cars were coming out, um, it was, um, uh, you know, it was going to go away. And so we started moving toward electronic security. And in 2000, uh, we kind of had a, um, what was a tipping point, a, a, an epiphany, whatever, that that block business was going away. So between 2002 <laughs> and 2000 and 2002, we really tried to understand what the uh, integration business was about and we're trying to make this transition and during those that transition we're kind of in no man's land between the lock business and electronic security and it was some of the toughest uh times in my career um of making that change because our business had been 35 years around being a lock distributor um to being electronic security and and I think I, I, during that time, I learned to be a leader because, you know, people are going, where are you going? You know, and I had to explain the vision that I had to them and why it was important, why it would be important to them and why it was important to change. And, and so I, I, I can remember having uh, office or all company meeting, which was small. We we're a very small company, yeah. probably. At, in 2002, we were 15 to 20 people, you know, um, hmm. and and um, um, we just kind of what 
what we were going to do now that we weren't in the lock business anymore. And I can remember telling him too, that it's kind of like we're, we're, there's a boat in the dock and uh, you know, we got one foot on the, on the dock and one foot on the boat and the boat's pulling away. <laughs> Cause that's where, that's where we're going. And so you right. get on board or, or, or get off. And so that's, what's kind of the start of us being in the electronic security business. So I want, I want to stop you there for a sec because something intrigued me when you said that there was whatever you call it, an epiphany or whatever you wanted to call it from lock, lock business to electronics, right? So mm -hmm. there was something there that that you were aware of or you could see strategically downrange like this was the future, right? I mean, is that, did it, how did that come about? I mean, <laughs> Uh, that that's an interesting that's an interesting question, and it was coming about because the industry was changing. Um, but at that point in time, we had a contract with a lock manufacturer, and they terminated our contract. Mm -hmm. So because uh, they were going to go direct, so we had this vision of where we wanted to go. But all of a sudden, it happened that that you know we no longer had this product that we'd been selling for 35 years they just they wanted to go wow. directly to the customers so that was that was a really hard thing uh to uh work through it's it was very uh um it was kind of i, I always say it's, it's one of the worst things that happened to me but in, in hindsight it was the best thing that ever happened to me sure you know? and Absolutely. so those are those things that you just don't see you know when you're so close to it but then you look back and, right and just so much chance, more chance for growth, for influence in the industry, for changing the industry, for meeting people. I'm sure we would have never met if we would have stayed there. Right. So many more people I, 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 I met and so many more things we were able to do. But at that point in time, again, that leadership was going, that, that, that was when, you know, you had to explain to people, here's, here's, here's what the vision, here's what our vision, my vision, our, I want to be your vision too. For what we're right. Doing. Did you have, you know, I already know the quick answer to this, but did, did, you must have had some folks that said, I, I don't, I'm not buying what you're selling, you know, because they were so used oh, to. Oh, 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 yeah. You know, and, and, and further along, I mean, people went when, let's go 2002 when we created this vision and we, we, we made this, we called it a, uh, a scorecard or a manifesto of where we thought the security industry was going. And again, I talked about from proprietary electronic systems that are on private. I won't use, I hate to use the word networks because people will think it's IP networks. They weren't. They were on right. running on coax and running, you know, 485. It's a different communication protocol that we're saying that that it's going to be a commercial off the shelf. Um, mm -hmm. That security, and you'll remember this, I think security is part of the business strategy. We were so, so we, we started saying that in 2002, and it wasn't. We're saying security integrators, they need to know more than one product and be more than installers. They can install, but they really need to be able to engineer and design and um, have software people and database people that can put this these systems together to make them work on the network. Because back then, putting a system on a network was was rocket science. You know, and so we hired people to do that. But people thought we were nuts, absolutely nuts. When we we talked about, you know, the security being part of the business strategy. No, it's a cost of doing business. You know, and I think you right. probably went through that. In fact, that's still 
you know, talked about, I was thinking about that. It's still talked about that, you know, people are wanting to know how to explain security to their organizations as a, as a, maybe not a profit center. You tried, you turned, you know, yours into, into a profit center, but, um, you know, just so it's, it's a, it's part of the strategic value of the company. Um, and so we yeah, started it's, talking it's, those things and it, it was, it, nobody had ever heard of before. Yeah. I mean, you're ahead of your time that way. Uh, yeah, you know, when I got in there it was guns, guards, and gates, right? And that's what everyone yeah, thought yeah. about us. Um, mm -hmm. And as we got along, as we started moving along and, you know, started working with folks like you and your team, I remember the things I used to tell my, my direct reports. You know, if you want to hire a company to work for us, not only do they have to be able to do the job, right? But the ones we hired were the ones like your folks that you really wanted to understand what our strategy was. Where was Microsoft Global Security going to go? What was our five, three to five year plan? So how were you going to integrate with us uh, so we could all win-win? And as opposed to people just want to sell widgets. And uh, yeah, and it's it's amazing. It's funny you're saying that uh, about, because that those same conversations, you're right, they're still happening. You know, how do CSOs are still wrestling with how do I find value add? How do you sell that, right? And it's for every company, it's different. Um, but the key is, to tie in the overarching business strategy of whatever organization you belong to, and then you know mm -hmm. the company. Uh, but that's pretty cool that you you and your team latched on that. So as as you're moving along now, so you're you're heading this new direction, and you you're a smaller company at this point, but you can assume that there's going to be expansion. Um, are you looking at how are you looking at talent within your company and like who, who's going to get you across the, the, the goal line, you know, for wherever you're, you're trying to go. You know, we, we really try to, the, the idea of leave no man behind, no person behind, I guess would be a better way to say it. Um, right. But it was changing and it was a different mindset um, or different, different skill set, not mindset, different mindset and skill set that we needed right. for electronic security. And so we tried to go and uh, find the, the best and the brightest to come on board um, uh, and to, to understand the vision and, and where we were going. And it was sometimes easier for new people coming on to see that than the old people to see that change. They just couldn't make that change in their mind. Um, so we looked at um, a different, different um, it was whole different people. But we also thought about three things and we call them the three V's of, of a vision trying to or putting together a vision uh, and then getting velocity and then veracity. And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we, we put the vision together and again, it was around this, this, um, this, the, 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 how you, the scorecard for the next generation uh, integration and what that meant Um and so that was kind of the vision. And then we, the velocity, and we started growing and people resonated with what we were saying. The, it was the manufacturers and our, some of our competitors were the ones that were kind of saying, eh, no, that's not where it's going. But the, the end users really understood that. So we started mm -hmm. growing very rapidly and we had to find people. This is a services business. This isn't a software business or a manufacturing where to scale, you know, you can scale by making more or software. It's a very different model. We needed to have 
engineers and installers and, and uh, um, uh, more install project managers. I think we hired more project right. managers and engineers than ever installers. And so we, to find that talent and bring them in uh, was was really important. But one of the things that that I'm kind of jumping ahead to 2008, we over over those 2002 to 2008, we met a company down in uh, Portland. Its name was Selectron, and they were the best integration company. Selectron been around for a long time, and their operations were tight, really tight. Mm -hmm. We were growing like crazy, but we didn't have the operations talent to do that. So we acquired them and we merged the companies together. Um, and that okay. was another leadership challenge for us. Again, I'd never, I'd never done that before. I'd never acquired a company. Um, but, you know, we, we, we had a philosophy, let's do it the best way because AFG acquired Selectra doesn't mean we do it ASG way. We do it the way, the, whoever doesn't the best. And so it took us longer mm -hmm. to do an integration but it was really helpful and they helped us have that veracity. Again, we would talk a great story and people would talk about that, but we didn't have the disciplines in place until we, when we acquired them, again, they had the disciplines. There was a guy, probably the best operations guy, I'm gonna do a shout out for Robert Flynn, who was, who kind of ran mm -hmm. this electron business. And he was, he was still a really good friend today. But he really grabbed the bull by the horns and um, and helped us become have veracity around uh, what we did. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of went, went off what the question was. No, I mean, I, I love it because you, you think about it. You know, early on, in, in as ASG is moving from you know your, your your traditional business into this new world, first you have to make the leap there. You have to make the decision to make the leap there. Then you got to bring your troops along and. Those folks that don't want to go along for the ride need to go on the by the wayside, and then mm -hmm. then you integrate another company into your company, mm -hmm. which is you know we went through an integration with Nokia, but you know that was that was just different. But it's never easy, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's always there's always trepidation on the side of the people getting acquired as to what it's going to look like. You know, at the end of the day, you know, are we going to be minimalized, or are they going to just want to take our IP and this get rid of all of us and uh, you obviously managed it well because I like that attitude. You said it was like if they could do something better than we can, then let them run with it and do it and make us all successful, right? And mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing how some people just don't get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it was hard for us. I mean, it was hard for in fact the ASG people. There, there were some people that left over that going, "Well, we're we're the inquiring company. We should do it our way." No, but their way's better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah no, always, uh, you know, it just does common sense. The definition of insanity, you know, right. doing it the same way and expect different results. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and then, so, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, I don't know. I, I don't know where I was going. Um, I, I, I just think that, um, you know, that was a. Um, I, I know what I was going to say. So, two thousand eight. Think about two thousand eight. We bought them yep. in 2008. What happened in 2008? The it's bottom, kind of something the called a recession, fell. yeah. Yeah, the, the bottom fell out. So that was kind of scary. But I think we both helped each other through that time. And we, you were talking about how we scaled up. We scaled up through buying them. But in 2008, we got a couple of very large clients. 
And we didn't call them mm -hmm. projects. We called them clients. We got a couple large clients that were growing and building and we got mm -hmm. um, kind of exclusives with them. So while people were laying off some really good people, we were hiring. So we got yeah. a lot of people in 2008 because we just kind of went all in. We're going to wall in. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to go for it. We're either going to succeed or we're going to auger in. Um, <laughs> and so um, um, we, uh, we, we really did. So that's another way to get, get, we got a lot of good talent. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're lucky. Timing's everything. I mean, 2008, I remember was the first time I experienced any type of risk, you know, that we had to take risks mm -hmm. in, in all of the mostly cost centers, which is never easy. Um, but yeah, those are, you know, managing through those tough times, um, is obviously another way of, you know, becoming a better leader, being more experienced. Mm -hmm. Now for those, there's folks in the, in that listen to this, that aren't part of the security world, or if they are, they weren't part of this. So uh, Phil, uh, and uh, a great friend of both of ours named Ron Worman, uh, came up with an idea called the great conversation. Um, and I'll let Phil talk about the great conversation, but I, 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 to all of you, uh, those, there are a lot of you that have experienced great conversation, but there are a lot of you that hadn't, and I'm sorry, you didn't get a chance to experience that because at the time, especially at the time when, when we were attending, it was great. So tell us, tell us about the great conversation. When did you guys start thinking about this and, and why, you know, what, what, mm -hmm. what was the reason behind it? You know, um, um, we started probably in 2003 and it was more of a product show and it was, you know, people were pretty bored to go, go see that. And, and, and we were trying, one of our goals was to change the industry. Um, right. And so how do you change the industry? Um, you start talking in new language. You start, you know, having people talk about how security is part of the business strategy, you know, and there were people that were sponges. They wanted to know about that. How do they explain it to senior management, you know, and get a seat? We called it a seat at the table. Um, you know, how do you do that? And so we started the great conversation around having this conversation about the issues in security, not about technical stuff. There's lots of places mm -hmm. they do that. But talk about, you know, uh, how do you, you know, that, that the security industry is so cool because everybody's risk is a little bit different. Now, some people have yeah. similar risk, but one, one of the, the, the things I was I talked about is two schools side by side, and one might be a private school and one might be a public school, and their risk is different, you know, but they're right. schools. So you really have to understand the business. And so before you can determine what kind of mitigation um uh techniques you're going to use um and so that's what we did at the great conversation have people come and talk about the issues in security and then how the security was changing you know that get a panel of people that were manufacturing going how is it changing for you how do you see it changing and there was an audience um um uh, interaction with that and and there were some lively conversations we called the great conversation mm -hmm. You know, because there were some lively conversations, even between audience and panel on the stage, it was pretty, it was pretty fun. Um, and again, that's yeah. when you, you, you came and spoke at that. And, um, um, and I think that's when we first met. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, and then we had others come and we had, um, you had uh, senior leaders come, I think uh, your boss came one time and talked about yeah. 
And, and I think he was one of the best speakers um, because you had somebody explaining why security was important to an organization, you know, opposed to a security person saying that, you know, um, right. and he gave a great outline. I still, I can still remember the presentation. Um, yeah. but we did that. And then, yeah. then had people from hospitals come in and, and talk about their journey, you know, and how they, you know, raise the level. We call it, talk about raise the tide, raise the level of security within yeah. an organization or the way it's seen. Because if you raise the tide, you're going to raise all, all the boats will come with you. Um, yeah. And that became, you know, we probably had, I don't know, 50 per people to the first one. And and by the time we had it for five years, there were probably about 250, 300 people that would come to that yeah. down at the downtowns. And yeah, it was, it was, a, it was quite a, quite a, um, uh, it was needed at the time, I think. It, and it positioned us very differently, you know, from a, from a, um, a business perspective, positioned us differently about how we saw security and that we saw it as as, as different from maybe somebody that just installs stuff. Trying to yeah, I, 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 you, you guys definitely filled a niche. I think you know. Well, first of all, that, that I remember that was the first major speech I ever gave, right? And mm -hmm. I remember, mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember thinking that, oh man stage is this big you know and then yeah. as the years went by the stage was still this big but it felt smaller you know because it's got more comfortable uh -huh. speaking uh -huh. but up until that time i'd been with isma for those of you who don't know isma it's a international security management association so global cso's or i'd been with as is with the cso roundtable so really all just end user community not just but that's what it was and from the technology side or the integrator side or whatever you want to call it, it was a it was, the great conversation was great in the sense that it brought different uh, skill sets together to look at a common common purpose, common problems, common goals that we could all talk about, we could all relate to. And it, it, I hadn't seen anything like that, you know, because there used to be like, well, I don't want to talk to them. They're integrators, so I don't want to talk to them. Yeah. They're end users, you know. They they don't understand us. We don't understand them. Blah 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 blah. And you you guys gave a forum uh, for everyone to speak. And yeah, I I do remember the growth. And I those were some of the fondest memories of seeing you know bringing on Mike Mason for instance one time and bringing on all these mm -hmm. people to speak. And it was just a it was just a a grand time. And it was uh, it was sorely needed at the time too. I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was at the the right time and uh, and bringing in some some speakers and there was a tipping point in that because you know there was nobody ever did anything like nobody had ever done anything. It was different because there really are no vendors. It's it's mostly end users, although there's a few right. vendors, but not you know this was trying to bring the vendor community, the end user community, consultant community, all all together. And um, there was a there was a tipping point in that that you know people thought it was an expo. Oh, we're going to sell you stuff, you know. Oh right, and, right, and, right, right. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't. It took a few years to to for people to realize that no, this is a security event. This is a you know we're going to learn um, about security and learn about a risk and how to mitigate risk and. And again, the language was way different, but it took a few years to do that. But we, I remember we talked about three or four years after we were three or four years into it. You could just see there was a different vibe there. 
and people came mm -hmm. and saw each. Maybe they'd see each other once a year, you know, that were yes. in the in the uh, the end user community that that would do that and and became became uh, friends through, through that through that event. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it it was fun. It created a lot of it, it was a lot of work. Ron Warman um, just um, grabbed that and ran with it, and some other people that. That, that put that together. Um, it was fun. And that stage was sure big um, the first couple of times for, for me too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I think we both grew together in terms of our ability to speak in front of the public and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, over the years. And that was, you know, for me and you, you know, that was obviously a, a start. Um, but as, so you're progressing along with your company, company's growing, doing very well. Um, from a leadership perspective, two, I guess it's two questions, two full questions. Number one, uh, how do you describe yourself as a leader? What kind of leader are you if you look at yourself? And then um, what are you what are you looking for in people that you're uh, thinking about moving into leadership positions besides their technical talent or whatever expertise they have? Yeah. yeah. You know, instead of me describing uh, what kind of the leader I was, I, I kind of look at what people maybe said about my leadership style. You know, if when when they, you know, like, uh, whether I'd ask or, or, you know, they just tell me. And I think probably servant leader um, mm -hmm. um, was something that just kind of came naturally to me that I'm not a raw, mm -hmm. raw, you know, like, you know, let's take the hill, you know. Um, um, uh, you know, and, and I think it's interesting. People want, some people want that, but other people don't. And so I think that servant yeah. leadership, I think I was a pragmatic, people call me very pragmatic. So pragmatic about what made sense, you know, mm -hmm. um, in, in what we're going to do, how to motivate people pragmatically, not again, not being fake, being real. Right. Um, so I call it pragmatic. And I think the persevering, I think the other thing is this was not a this was not a sprint. We talked about that a lot at our general staff meetings and our ex, uh, EMT meetings, executive management team meetings, that this is mm -hmm. a marathon, you know. And so we got to remember as we're going on this marathon, remember when we're in the 17th mile that we we've been we've gone 17 miles you know we got ways but we still have ways to go right um and and so we just need to keep on going and going and i, I used to talk about you can only go as far as you can see and then you get over the rise and you can see farther and go further well you know we didn't see the end point 15 years you know in, in 2002 but we went further and got better and then went further and got better and went further and got better. And so there was, again, there was this, this marathon we went through. So I think this persevering, you know, and just in keeping people on board um, um, and, and, you know, people talked about the vision um, and, or, or and one, a friend of mine um, talked about, you fill it, you say it and you say it and you say it again. And, and, yep. and when you're sick of saying it, you'd say it again. And to this day, I'll, I, I, I still talk to a lot of a lot of people from ASG, and and uh, they still know what the vision is because again, and <laughs> and you say it, you say it enough, and people believe it. It becomes a culture, you know. Yeah. And, and so to to talk about the vision, the ASG way, the values of the company, um, the mission of the company, 
again, those are things that people latch onto and and uh, and and, uh, and gr grow with. So that's the first question. Um, I don't know. You have any questions about that? But um, what was the second uh, question? Uh, you know, just well, I'll make I'll make I'll make a comment on on the first one. You know, you hit the nail on the head. I had a conversation with somebody about this a couple of days ago, but you're right. I, I remember reading a book by Jack Welch way back in the day. You know, and he, when he took over GE and it was bloated, and he, you know, they used to call him Neutron Jack, right? Because he had to cut a lot of fat out. But he's he had a vision, and he's he rammed it down everybody's throats over and over and over and over again until they got like you said. You said it. He gets sick of hearing mm -hmm. about it, but nobody can ever say that they don't know what the vision is. And it's cool that you mm -hmm. say, even to today, people, mm -hmm. people know. Just like we used to say yeah. strategic integration, right? And global security. And right. they just rammed it through everyone because we wanted a mantra and this was our goal. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, the, sec the second half of the question was, like you're looking at top talent. And you're looking, you know, you, you need great leaders working for you to drive your strategic vision, mm -hmm. right? And uh, your, 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 your goals. I mean, what are you looking for in people, for leaders? Mm, I, I I look for um, um, uh, integrity. I think is one of the key things I look for in people. I like look for people that were self motivated. Um, I'm not again. I'm not a rah rah leader, so I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. hey, let's go. Let's you know. I'm I'm going to go. We're going to take the hill. It may take us. You know, a, a day. It may take us. A month, it doesn't matter. We're going to take it, you know, and, and, and we'll go. It's not a rah rah thing. Um, so I look mm -hmm. for people that were self motivated um, um, and to that could see problems and and work on problems where you know they didn't need to be told what to do. I think the other mm -hmm. thing about leadership is we talked about this a, lo a lot was that leader leadership isn't positional. Yeah, you have your senior leaders, but you have leaders all within your company and leaders are the people that have integrity, that that understand the vision. And so whether mm -hmm. you have a, 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 a install, installer, service person, engineer, those people are leaders too. And we see leadership in, the, in those. They don't have to be the, the CFO or chief sales officer to be a leader in the company. You know, mm -hmm. they can be the person that right. when there's water cooler talk, they go, we just don't do that around here. So it's building that mm -hmm. culture of leadership, I think, is the is one of the key things. So I think, you know, even I, I really hadn't thought about this before, but, you know, when we hired people, we were looking for people with leadership characteristics. That didn't mean they were going to be managers, sure. but they had it, you know, had um, certain values, you know, within them, not only technical knowledge, but values within them. And those people became leaders. There's a lot. You know, the integrity doing, doing, um, no, I just completely lost it. Um, is what do you do when you, when you, uh, when nobody's watching or you think nobody's uh, watching, uh, you know, with cameras right. everywhere and no privacy, you know, it's now what you think, but you know, what yeah. people do. And, and, and we, we looked for people that had that integrity that, um, um, and we talked about it a lot because people worked on their own. There were project managers working from their homes. There were engineers working from their homes. They were out in the field on job sites for, for weeks on end, you know? Um, um, so they weren't, it wasn't like they were, people, people were managing them day to day. Right. Yeah. I know you're, you're, you're correct. Um, but now, so you have these, you know, Highly motivated. Let me, let me, 
Let me add, let me add one more. Let me add one. Yeah, sure, people sure, sure. That, people that didn't see the world the way I saw it. Okay. I wanted people with 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 different ideas. I wanted to have yeah. fierce fierce conversations with my executive team. Yeah, and we yeah. did have fierce conversations with almost everybody on. I I had, you know, where we were we were um, arguing points. Not arguing values, arguing points. They saw it different mm -hmm. than I did. And I really valued that because they see things that I didn't see. And, mm -hmm. and so I'd want to know that because if they saw it, maybe it was an issue that we needed to solve or before we maybe went out on a new endeavor, they saw those things. Well, let's let's look at the risk on that and how we can mitigate for that. Opposed to somebody who's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you say so, Phil, let's go do it. I didn't want those people. I wanted those people. And now it took a little bit longer to have some of those conversations. But um, you talk about my executive management team, ask them about the fierce conversations we had with just me and them or within our executive management team. Um, you had to be a strong personality to kind of fit. And I enjoyed that. I, 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 I enjoyed that. Um, uh, I don't know whether it's tension or the just the um, um, I don't I don't know what what the word would be you know just the push and pull of of, of that. So. Oh yeah, I mean you said first conversations. I mean, um, I mean our, your experience might have been different from mine. With, with my team, initially, they would fight, but they wouldn't fight fair. You know, it got personal, mm -hmm. and we ended up having to do some emotional intelligence training. So everybody learned to play well in the sandbox. And then it got good, fine. We can have those conversations, but, you know, everybody get pissed off at each other personally, right? I don't like your position or I disagree with your strategy, but that doesn't mean we can't be colleagues and figure it out, right? Um, I assume you probably had some times throughout your career where you had to manage disputes between some of your direct reports. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the stories I could tell. Uh, and I can remember you you and I having conversations about that. You know, a lot of our conversations was was about leadership and 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 you know, I think a mentor to me um uh, of how to how to deal with some of the, you know, the the to manage some of those relationships, knowing that everybody was wants this, wants the the outcome the same. There's just a different way to get there. And so how do exactly. they do that in a in a in a more civil way you know and I, I was thinking where i learned that from was my dad you know those six years mm. with my dad he and i right. used to argue like crazy argue <laughs> and then and then it was like you know we'd be in the middle of an argument it was kind of it was about noon going are you hungry yeah i'm hungry let's, let's go eat <laughs> and so we'd go eat and then we'd come back and we'd start we'd start you know having these fierce conversations and and it wasn't you know it wasn't you didn't take it with you you know, that you're just trying to figure out what the best solution is, you know, to is some issues. So, so I think that yeah. was, that was, um, yeah. one of the things that uh, was important to my leadership team. Yeah. So like, so now, you know, later on in your career, uh, you know, you're, you're retired now, but before you retired, um, you ended up, you know, in a bit of a transition, right. Mm -hmm. uh, from, from another transition point in your life, from ASG to another company. Tell us about that. Mm, well, um, yeah, that was uh, when we sold to ADT in 2000, 
18, I'm gonna go back a little bit, 2017, we met with them and there was a fellow that's still there, Dan Bressing, who's the CEO of the new company Everon, um, um, because they broke off from ADT. But he, we, we were not looking to sell and, and um, uh, we went and visited them in Chicago and Dan actually told us a great story. It was a lot about the strategy and what he wanted to build and what ADT wanted to build in the commercial part. The most of it is residential, but in the commercial part. And, right. um, and, and we were kind of, wow, you know, this is pretty cool because we were at an inflection point too at that point, because uh, when you grow, you, you don't grow like this. You grow kind of like like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we were going to be one of those, we kind of were growing done here. And in order to get to that next level, we were going to have to invest, invest quite a bit to make the company, to be able to scale to the next level. Because we were about, I think, 175 people at that point in time. In okay, wow. So we went from, yeah, um, and um, and so we knew that, again, lots of investment. I was 60 years old, 59 years old, I think, at that point. Um, and mm -hmm. whether I had, and it'd be another five years before we kind of had that other, where we're going to start growing, we felt, you know, three, four years. And so when they came and they were looking to grow, looking, had some solutions to some of the things that we needed, it just made sense. It really made sense. And then it, it, it we were looking something that would be valuable to, or that, that would help the, not only the owners, but be good for the employees. And again, some of our mm -hmm. employees were looking for new things too, new things to do. I was kind of looking for, okay, we can keep on doing this or what's something new. Uh, and um, to be able to scale. So um, we, um, we made that transition in January of 2018. And um, I worked for uh, Dan Bressingham, which was different. I, I hadn't worked for anybody since 1989. I, right. I, I actually told I actually told him that I might be the worst employee ever he's ever had. <laughs> I just had never worked for anybody. Um, and so I did that and it was challenging and fun uh, to do that. Um, I learned a lot. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to work at a multi-billion dollar company um, because I didn't understand. I didn't understand how it, the scale of what this, it took to change. You know, um, mm -hmm. uh, in a 175 person company, you can change a lot quicker than than you know <laughs> a 5,000 person company, and you you understand that. I didn't understand that. You know, at the point time, so I so I, right. I I learned that, and um, it was a it was a really um, great learning experience for me um, at that point in my career, and which mm -hmm. again I'm grateful for that. Um, but then, um, and so I was the um, I don't I don't even know what the titles were that I that I had, but trying to they were trying to integrate ASG into it, and then I took on a, a more of a um, a global senior role for them for a while. And then, then COVID hit, you know, and mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. COVID hit, that changed everything. Um, um, and it just wasn't, um, it wasn't nearly as fun. It wasn't fun for anybody, but it was for me, it was the relationships mattered and, and being around people mattered and, and not being able to have that. That was a tough thing. So I, uh, I went to, into a consulting role for, 
uh, for them for about a year and a half and then retired in 20, 20, January 2022. So I don't know, I kind of, maybe I, I didn't answer, you know, well, what was it like? It was, again, it was challenging. It was different. Um, um, and, uh, um, but, but I'm glad I did it. Really glad I did it. Yeah, it was a great way to cap off, you know, uh, your career, which has been, as you as we've talked about, it's, it's quite a journey. Now, along the way, you know, every time you're, when you're a leader, there'll be a lot of times of stress. Um, just, it is, because of the territory. Um, so, how did you handle stress? I mean, some people meditate, some people whatever you know i mean how, how you know some people have you know private jets like you do and fly around but, but uh how... <laughs> by the way that is not true that is not true <laughs> but uh so how, how, how did how did you how did you how, because it's also different because for most of your career you it was your company i mean you're an entrepreneur it's your company your name on it uh and so i suspect you know you have to have a little bit of a closer you feel closer i think more passionately we're all passionate about our jobs i think hopefully but you obviously so how, how did you deal with stress and what, what did you do i think a number of things the power of prayer is amazing when it comes to stress mm -hmm. and the grace of god is amazing through stress mm -hmm. um, i have an amazing wife and kids um, yep. um, that helped with the stress and we did we did stuff, you know, I worked 16 hours a day during the week, but on weekends, I tried to shut down. Um, Good. I, I, Good. You know, um, I, I, I have hobbies. I didn't get a chance to do them very much when, when I was working, but I love to fly fish and um, mm -hmm. fly fishing. I can, I can uh, go fly fishing and not think about work one bit because I'm just, you got to concentrate really? on what you're doing. With mm -hmm. golf, I can be standing over a five-foot birdie putt, which happens once every two years, and I'm thinking right. about a contract that I need to sign or something. It just doesn't do the same thing. Um, Interesting. And I have other I have other hobbies too that that, that, yeah. that I enjoy, and so retirement hasn't been. I'm, I'm, we're busier than we ever have. We have four grandkids, and uh, yeah, uh, and we're doing that. But it was stressful in that when you go on vacation. Um, and when you're an owner of a company, at least, Ellie, this was for me, you know, you go on a week vacation, it took uh, uh, maybe four days to relax for, you know, to forget about what's going on at work, you know, and so yeah. then you have maybe two days or two and a half days, and then you start thinking about all the stuff you put off before <laughs> you went on vacation that you got to do when you get yeah. back. So a seven-day yeah. vacation would be about a two-day vacation, and we never took, <laughs> I never took more than a 10 days you know like a week and a half off for 25 years um, i don't think right. yeah maybe 20 years um and so didn't get those long vacations so so it was it is is stressful but um but again and and surround yourself with really good really good people i think that's the other thing that's stressful the energy of i, I talked to hit on this a little bit during covid but you know, I get energy from being at work and going in Monday, Monday mornings. I wasn't, a, oh, let's go to work Monday morning. By Monday noon, I was, I was fired up and ready to go because I'm seeing the people, meeting the people that would get me fired up. 
And on Friday night, I was calling people at 7.30 at 8 o'clock because I was ready to go on Friday nights. And everybody else would, wow. what are you calling me <laughs> tonight? You know, what are you calling me on Friday night? But I'd be, be fired up. And then kind of the, the next next week. But that's kind of, again, the way the way I handled, I guess, handle stress and, and uh, was again, trying to find those different things. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I'm glad. How did you, how did you, you, how did you handle, how did you handle stress? Can I a lot of the same things you talked about, you know, obviously prayer and, and uh, you know, Janice, of course, before Janice, Karen, um, exercise was my relief. You know, mm -hmm. when I'm when I'm working out, I I don't think about work. Mm -hmm. I think about how painful it is or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I tried. I think a big part of that was also. At some point when you know you have a great team. And you, you can go on vacation and, you know, well, yes, one year is always towards the company. You have, you can kind of unwind a little bit, um, a little bit more. A lot of my stress always is always self-imposed, though. I think I was, I was joking. I get it from my mom because she worried about everything. And she probably passed that trade on to me. So I worry about everything, you know, and even like, even like making speeches. Every time I made a speech, I'd always ask, you know, Brian or I'd ask Foynes or whoever I, was it okay? And so like 10 years in, yeah, boss, it's fine. You know, <laughs> you're doing yeah, fine, yeah. you know, but yeah, I needed yeah. that validation because I always put too much stress on myself, uh, yeah. which can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing too. So I've been, I've been trying to do a lot more. Uh, I, I studied besides the Bible, uh, obviously is number one. I've been doing a lot of work in the last years in my job on stoicism, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. Being being present and understanding how wonderful it is to be here right now, like what we're doing mm -hmm. right now, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe when we finish, you know, there'll be something stressful in the email. But right now, I'm enjoying this, and I can enjoy today because tomorrow's mm -hmm. not given. And that's mm -hmm. one way to mitigate stress. Because why would you, if if tomorrow's your last day, if everybody knew tomorrow was their last day, you think they'd be stressed out about anything? Mm -hmm. No, they they'd probably spend as much time with family try to do something fun right as opposed mm -hmm. to worry about you know paying bills or whatever so uh that's but yeah i that's think it's really that's, sorry that's really wise about being in the present i think that's so so true that you know from a retirement perspective being in the present people ask what do you do and i'm going whatever whatever things i like to do you know being in present and enjoy things i enjoy and maybe not doing the things i don't enjoy you know that's one of the advantages you have kind of a of being retired is do the stuff that's fun with people you like doing it with and so i think there's there, there's something to that just being in the present um, i think that's good that's good advice yeah yeah, yeah. so i, I just my, my last question because I, I i've you know i found this fascinating i've learned some things actually and you know, i've known you forever i've learned some things about you and your your growth and your journey um you know leadership is hard i don't care how you slice it it's hard um and you know you've run into people that are leaders, but they're for the wrong reasons. You know, like you said, you want you want the corner office, you want the title, you want the money. Okay, that's that's great. Uh, it, but today's, I think, in my personal opinion, today's business environment is even tougher than when you and I were in. It's just there's a lot of things going on. It's faster paced. There's just changes happening. You know, every two seconds. Um, why would somebody want to be a leader in, uh, in today's environment? You know, if you could encourage somebody that was on the fence about 
can I stay an individual contributor? Because I've run into those. I love being an investigator. You, you're a great investigator, but man, you'd be great as as a, as a leader because you know you, you care about people and and you have strategic vision. I don't know. I don't want to do that. Uh, and okay, and that and that would be fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But what would you say to somebody that you know was on the fence? You know. You know, it, it's kind of what you what you get, and you talk about it in in maybe in one of your books. I remember specifically about how your leadership journey changes, and you become a from a from an individual contributor and in thinking about your career to thinking about other people's career. And you know, the thing that 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 inspired me the most, especially in those later years, is watching somebody succeed. And being a leader, mm -hmm. you're going to help them succeed. People that don't think that they can do it, and you help them to see that they can do it, and they do it, and the looks on their faces and the the joy that they have of yeah. you saw it in me, but I didn't see it in me. You know, is what you know they they tell you. I think that is, you know, you unless you're a leader, you don't get to see that. You know, and, and yeah. just to know that that that's there. I think that's the the the, the um, opposite of that. Though was one of the hardest thing as leader as a leader is to have those people that really want it, maybe want it for the wrong reasons, and just are not able to do it. And so you have they they see it, which might be better than if they don't see it and you see it. And and right. those are the that's some of the toughest times, but it's so worthwhile. And that's what I'd say if you 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 enjoy seeing and helping people succeed, you know, mm -hmm. that's a great reason, I think, to be a leader, because you can have influence over so many people um, more than and it's not a control. It's not leadership is in control. It's influence, right. you know, and I, right. I and I think the first time I heard that, who was the CI? Your, your counterpart on the IT side at Microsoft. Oh, Brett Arsenault. Brett Arsenault. We're sitting at a yeah. table at a great conversation because he was he was going to speak and he talked about control versus influence and just the that idea that, you know, as a leader, you influence, you don't control people. You manage, you control, but as a leader. Right. Um, and the influence you have over people. And I remember that. I really thought about that a lot. You know, and again, that was back in 2000 eight or nine or 10 or something like that. Mm -hmm. it, really changed, it really changed my thought thinking process on that. So um, that's good. That, that's what, that's what I would say. That's what I would yeah. say. Yeah. How about you? Well, that's I'm awesome. curious what you, what, what you would say to that. Why would somebody be a leader? I would, well, what I would tell them is that the one time that I gave up being a leader when I was at CIA, I I'd led for years and I went to what they call inspector general's office, you know, so that's the fraud, waste and abuse. You know, every every government agent has an IG and we work with, you know, the FBI and do that kind of stuff. But the, my, our boss was OK, but he was no leader and I had no influence to change anything, even though I could see if we did this, this and this, you know, the morale would be better or our methodologies would be better or what have you. but it was an epiphany to use that word again that i realized unless i put myself in the position of being a leader again 
I can't have influence. And you, you mentioned that too, right? And so to me, I would rather, you know, deal with whatever headaches come with being a leader. Uh, and there are many, um, and sometimes sleepless nights or what have you, or, or, or difficult conversations like you alluded to, mm -hmm. but still be able to influence people, careers, strategies, uh, and ultimately, like you said, the ultimate goal is when you see those folks that you are leading now taking over organizations, you know, that's cool, right? You know, and you know, mm -hmm. you had a piece of that, you know, yeah, they, mm -hmm. they, they had to drive it, they had to do mm -hmm. it, but you had a piece of that. And, uh, you know, yeah. there's, there's always, there's always also a bit of ego when it comes to being a leader, but you have to have mm -hmm. a healthy ego, uh, not, not the unhealthy one, but you need to have a healthy ego. And, uh, but yeah, that's what I would tell people like, you know, and again, I had conversations with folks that, you know, in my organization that like, I just love being an investigator. Or I just love doing crisis management. I just love it, you know, and I could see it in their eyes. Like, you got it. Mm -hmm. Fine. Mm -hmm. Then do your 20 yeah. or whatever and just do that. But you would see some people that had, like you talked to, they had doubts, you know, I don't know if I could do it. Well, none of us know we could do it until we actually do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're gonna you're gonna step on it. You're gonna make mistakes, but you will mm -hmm. learn along the way, and you'll be better off uh, as a leader. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's what I would tell people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree, T total agree. And you can learn. I think you said you can learn. You can learn to be a leader if you have certain characteristics. And people lead different ways. I really think people, you know, there there's so many different kinds of leaders, and and uh, and I think oh, you yeah. need to find your own way and not try to be somebody else. Be comfortable in yeah. your own skin of leadership, and and um, um, and it doesn't have to be one way. So, uh, I think you're you're right. Yeah, have to have your own niche. Um, well, Phil, thanks a lot for uh, really thank you for taking the time to walk through your career, walk through your life. Um, you know, kind of what makes you tick, and uh, you've had such an interesting career. And uh, you know, when you you mentioned mentor, uh, I. I I have the same feeling for you. Uh, there's things, a lot of things I've learned from you uh, over the years uh, from a leadership perspective, just watching your style and how you deal with people and situations that, you know, where, you know, someone like me, would my head would have blown off. You have a very calm and present demeanor about you. And, you know, that well, I, I could, I... Yeah. go ahead. Only a few people know about about, about my uh, my uh, um, uh, my uh, I, I, I get angry too, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, it's not always calm, but you have to know me well to be able to see that. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I stay away from you when I see that face. Anyway, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you again uh, for taking yep. the time. You know, Thanks. Beth to Susan yeah. and the kids. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Mike, for having me. I, I love what you're doing here. I love what you've done in your retire your retirement, um, and and what you've you know the writing of the books, um, and the continued writing and and uh, your podcast. You know, I, I you're, you're a great success in that, and had it had a vision, and this is what you want to do, and you did it, and uh, you were a great friend, and and Janice too, and and wish you all the best, and look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, amigo. Um, so that's it for today's edition of the Roma Leadership Podcast. Um, uh, this is a wonderful conversation, a great conversation. 
and I'm glad we were able to have this. Um, um, so once again, for all of you who are who are listening in, um, continue to provide comments. And also, if you have people that you want me to interview that they don't have to have anything to do with the security world, but just on leadership or what have you, uh, let me know. We've got some, we've done some podcasts recently um, that uh, they'll be coming up soon and they're a little bit different and uh, we're going to try to jazz things up a little bit, but continue to hit the subscribe button, the like button, share button. Um, and then uh, we'll just, uh, we'll be back at you very soon with another edition of the Rona Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for your support.